because people don't think about this, these distinctions, it's a leading cause of why, why people and companies in, in, uh, in turn have such negative experiences with services because they're going into it with misset expectations and that they may be going into it thinking that they want to hire a consultant, but because they have, because they haven't thought about these differences, they go and hire a contractor. The contractor fulfills their job perfectly, but there was a misalignment of expectations because the company wanted a consultant. And they're like, ah, consulting stupid. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. There we go. All right, now we're recording. There we go. Logistics. Yeah. What's going on? Well, I added new art. It's my Lego art. Yeah, that's Lego really good. art. Lego art. Uh, a buddy from high school that I hadn't talked to. I don't. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you what year I graduated. <laughs> In a long time, uh, we reconnected a couple years ago. Uh, he reached out randomly, saying, "Hey, thinking about building a personal brand, maybe getting into business. Would love to pick your brain." And we had some really good calls. Anyway, I ended up he ended up sending me some of his artwork, which he builds out of Lego bricks um, and it's hanging on the wall. And it is awesome. Uh, Does he do like personal commissions or he does? He does. Okay. Yeah. So he does personal commissions. He does his own work. He's also done several gallery shows where his, his work has been in museums and other art galleries. Oh, very Um, cool. Yeah. So uh, his, uh, his, I think his brand is called brick bending. Okay. I can look it up to see if, Because there's another artist, his name is Nathan Sawoya, mm. and he has a touring exhibit. Uh, it's called The Art of the Brick. Oh, cool. And that was the show that I went to see downtown yeah, seven years ago. Yeah, I remember. It was about a month after I started here. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. I leave on an I remember that now, conversation but... well, and I use it with many employees about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The Art of the Brick. It's, it's actually really, really cool. cool. Um, and I took. Uh, my now wife she decided to stay with me we were just dating at the time mm. like you want to go see this and she stuck around after going to see it that's, she's like yeah well, i guess good. that sounds cool <laughs> <laughs> so yeah added that i also have an amazing piece you can't see it it's uh behind my monitors up on my wall um it's incredible uh from shy um who illustrated uh as for analytics um so it is awesome. So I've added some new art to the office. It's kind of changed the fill a little bit in here. I like it. And speaking of AS for analytics, um, after going out of stock and finally getting more inventory, we finally this month won the buy box on Amazon, which is a huge deal. Can you tell so, me what that means? I saw that, but I, yeah, I don't so know what it means. If you go to, and you know, lots of listings that you're going to um, because of, because of the buy box, have the buy box. Um, and what the buy box is, is when you go to a product detail page on Amazon, if that product um, has the buy box, you'll see over in the top right hand corner, um, a rectangular block that says 
buy new here's the price if it's prime and then it will say it will have two very critical buttons add to cart or buy now we even though we wrote the book and we're selling it um other people i guess could technically sell the book like someone could buy 50 copies from us and sell it on amazon um and so only one seller can have the buy box and when when we launched, we didn't have, or when we launched after we went out of stock, we didn't have the buy box. And so it, you, you didn't have an add to cart button. You didn't have a buy now button. You had this kind of square button under the description of the product that said available from multiple sellers, even though we were the only seller. So you had to click on that. And then it brought out this slider from the right. And then you had to click on, I want to buy from 33 sticks. And then you could add to the cart. Super, super frustrating. Um, anyway, this month we're up now over 300% compared to last month. And we're only 14 days in. We shouldn't be surprised because we analyze these kind of sales funnels all the time. And that anytime you add an extra step, it hurts conversion, especially where you have a product detail page and you can't write from that page, add to cart. It's going to be a problem. So yeah. anyway, awesome to win that because it makes, how it- did you win it? That's my question. Like what did you have to do to get it? So they don't, they don't, um, they don't publish the rules. So there's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of, (laughs) there's a lot of guessing that goes into it. And there's lots of blog posts out there. You know, I Googled so many different things and everyone has kind of different advice on its sales volume, its sales consistency, its uh, order fulfillment rate, like the quicker you fulfill the orders, the better, you know, but I mean, we were, trying we had some fairly consistent sales we were turning around orders incredibly quickly and still you know nothing it just wasn't showing up so we decided we we decided to add a second shipping option so we were doing the fulfillment ourselves we had a warehouse in california that everything was being shipped out of we thought let's send um a box or two of the books to amazon to sit in one of their central locations and have them offer fulfillment by amazon and the minute we did that, the buy box showed up. So, nice. Anyway, super excited to finally have that. That was a, a frustration. Not not that we're making, we're doing huge volumes and sells, but if people want to buy the book, I don't want it to be difficult for them to buy it. You know, and yeah. if you're not if you're not a constant Amazon shopper and you go to that page and there's no add to cart button, I could see as a consumer why it would be incredibly frustrating and you may give up yeah. on it so anyway and there's my amazon chime that the dog was barking out speaking of amazon so mm-hmm. perfect timing the thing was listening to you yeah it was listening to me so anyway oh she is so mad today <laughs> you can't hear it because like she's mad that i locked her up so as long as you can't hear it but i think no, we're good okay. yeah, faintly faintly so we're good so there you go. <laughs> the joys of having a yappy dog that thinks that they need to protect the house. Yep. Yeah. There you go. All right. How are we going to pivot this? I don't know. I'm thinking and I have no clue. Okay. Um, so I guess let's go ahead and dig in a bit and, Last couple of weeks, we've been talking, uh, focusing on analytics, specifically um, our 
position our philosophy around sustainable analytics. Um, but I want to I, I want to, to to shift for the next couple of weeks and talk about consulting. Um, and of course, it's going to be consulting from our perspective in in our space and digital analytics. But it could be applied across um, across any kind of industry or space. So today, the topic is the art of being a consultant. Um, I mean, l l let's face it, like there is an art to being a successful consultant. Um, it's, it's, it's easy to be a contractor. It's easy to come in, do what you're told. Consultants are not, well, te technically they're, they're contractors, but a true consultant is more than just that. So what does it mean to be a consultant? Um, and actually, before we even get into that, you've mentioned it before, but I want you to rehash it. What are the reasons why an organization hires um, an outside consultant? <laughs> uh, well, there are there are a few. Um, and I think I have a list. Uh, so I should see if I can pull up my list. But in, in general, um, the one that no one really wants to talk about, which does happen, is that some organizations, some teams have a strategy of hiring consultants so that they have someone to blame. And I learned this from my boss, the first job I had out of college. And I, I probably shared this story on the podcast. If not, I'll, I'll, I'll rehash it, but I'll make it brief. When I first joined, we were doing a large sales and marketing um, Siebel implementation um, in the late 90s, uh, as well as building a customer um, master uh, for all of our customers in uh, using a custom Oracle database. And we had a team of about 18 consultants from Anderson Consulting uh, helping with, with the build. Uh, after two years, we got it to a fairly stable place where we were able to maintain it. Um, and to date myself on this, do you know how we did the distribution of our software to our field teams? Um, you're on mute. CDs. Yeah, we, we press CDs. I remember, nice. I remember the fear of completing a build because if you screw up, you just can't push out a pass over the air, right? A, a, a patch yeah. over the air. You have to you have to press new CDs. So yeah, that was that was stressful building software in those days. But um, anyway, we got to a place where it was stable. We were able to maintain and mature the project, but we still kept about five Anderson consultants on staff, um, and they really weren't doing a whole lot of work. And I asked my boss, I'm like, "What's going on here?" He said, "Oh, they're they're my insurance policy because when you guys screw up and you will screw up, I have someone to blame uh, because it's it's easy to like blame them." And if we need to have a sacrifice, it's easy to like fire one of the consultants a lot easier than having to fire you. And I'm like, wow. So that's the story that people don't really like to talk about and probably don't want to hear. And hopefully that practice has diminished uh, a bit, but I'm sure it, it still happens. So the, the, the less bad reasons why people hire consultants, I think is threefold. Um, First and foremost, they're often hired for bandwidth. Um, so we just don't have enough people. So, and it's easier to hire a consultant than go hire a full-time employee. Um, and so people hire, companies hire consultants for, for bandwidth. Um, these are typically not viewed as consultants per se, but are often called contractors. 
Um, you know, they're, they're working at the behest of the client. They come in, they're given a list of tasks, they're, they're managed by the client. So they, they, they have bandwidth. So that's number one. Number two is expertise. And this is kind of where we start to fit more into it in that um, the company simply doesn't have the expertise that they need to do to solve a problem, deploy a solution, create some kind of output. Um, and, and, and that in part is where we play in that they're, they are hiring experts, um, that they either can't hire, don't have, have lost they're, but they're looking to bring in expertise that they simply do not have in-house. Um, that's number two. And then number three, the one that I think is really the most valuable, but often goes untalked about and unrecognized. And that is objectivity. As consultants, we have the ability to come in and be objective in ways that employees never can be. doesn't matter how hard they try, they will never be able to be as objective as, as we can be uh, in those scenarios. And the reason for that is, one, we obviously uh, aren't in the weeds of that business every day. So we kind of have a larger purview. We kind of have the beginner's mind mentality, if you will, and that we don't, you know, we haven't been, you know, brainwashed isn't the right word, but, you know, we haven't been in the system all the time, every day, all day. So we're able to see things that may be blind spots for, for those companies. Um, but I think the bigger contributing factor is, um, at least for us, is we don't have to necessarily care about the politics. Um, yes, we have to be sensitive to that fact, but there are things that we can do and say that most employees can't say because they may fear for their job, they may fear that um, it may hurt their ability to get promoted. It may, you know, they may not get that bonus, but we can come in and say it, right? Like we don't have to be as concerned about those political fallout, you know, drawbacks as, as employees do. So our ability to bring objectivity to our clients, I think, offers m even more value than our ability to bring in our expertise. And really those two things play Mm -hmm. hand in hand it's it's hard to be objective without having expertise um so they they really go together and and that's one of the big things i had in my notes today to to discuss is that advantage consultants come in with because in last week's episode we were talking about you know when it comes to employees and digital analytics uh, practitioners and their day-to-day when they're thinking about their day-to-day -day and say the difference in between reporting and insights, there's this line that many fear to cross because they put their neck out there and they, it may come as criticizing um, or well, the diplomatic way is to say providing critical feedback on say maybe um areas of the site that other teams control. Um, and I'm getting way too easy, so I'm going to pull myself back out of it. But yeah, like that that episode, we spent time talking about that. And a lot of times that's why employees kind of stay stuck. They're scared to put their neck out where consultants can come in and they can they are in a position where they can provide that kind of feedback that employees are scared to. And that's how they can truly impact an organization. And I think understanding that, that, that power that they have, that role that they're able to command makes someone a great consultant and they, they're able to, to really exercise that art of being a consultant. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Uh, and I think that's a, a really perfect way to, to summarize that is that, um, 
when when you're on that left side lower end of that spectrum where you're 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 feeling a bandwidth need um it's oftentimes difficult even as a consultant to cross that line right uh because they're like hey we're just here to do a job like i don't want to question it i don't want to ruffle any feathers i don't want to rock the boat because we don't want to put our contract in jeopardy we just want to keep doing this work um and so really separating out kind of doing the job of consulting and really being true a true craftsperson of, of, of consulting is when you're able to transcend that line and say, okay, now I'm able to tell the, the client, not necessarily what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. And, and we've really, pro, we've really taken a lot of pride in, in being able to take that position and not in a, we're, we're better than you. We're superior. We're, you know, we're, we're egotistical. No, it's a, you hired us to help get you to a better place. And sometimes that's, having to hear things that you don't want to hear so we can fix it and we can make it better. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So define or not, um, how do you define the difference between a consultant and a person who works for a consulting firm that is playing the role of a contractor? What makes those two people different? Who's giving the orders? So oh, that's quite concise. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it really comes down to who's in charge. Um, and I had a early in my consulting career, I had a team lead that told me something like, go look at your calendar. Do you own the majority of the meeting invites on your calendar or does someone else own them? If someone else owns them, you're a contractor. If you own them, you're a consultant. Um, and, and that was kind of a physical way of, of telling the same story of who's in control. So if you're working at the behest of your client, if you're taking orders from your client, if they're sending you a list of tasks, if they're assigning you JIRA tickets, you are a contractor. If you are setting the agenda, if you are providing the path, if you are giving a list of things that the consultant or the client needs to work on and deadlines when they need to get back to you, you are a true consultant. And there's a lot of gradation between that. But when you're on those two polar extremes, it's really easy to see that, okay, this person is operating in the role of a contractor. And this person is operating in the role of a true expert that is consulting the business to get them to a better state. And not that contractors can't be part of that, right? Contractors can definitely help get companies to a better state, but they can't do so in isolation. They're dependent on someone else, either another consultant or someone within the organization to provide the direction, the strategy, and give them their their operational details, their orders for how to get there. And, and all of those are important roles, but it's important to make that distinction between the two and what one is and what one isn't. Is it a bad thing to be a contractor in this particular sense? No, I don't think so at all. Again, I think it's a very needed role, um, especially when we're talking bandwidth wise. And we've we've seen companies, unfortunately, you know, very sick companies where um, they need help. They need warm bodies doing work. And they're being told by operations, they're being told by HR that, oh, we have a hiring freeze, you can't hire. But hire all the contractors you want. <laughs> so, you know, absolutely, they fit a very real need. Um, it's a very valuable service and a role. 
again, for me, it's less about which one's more valuable. It's it's really what you're trying to solve for. They're all kind of important in the larger uh, view of things. But in order for them to work, everybody needs to know their role and there needs to be someone that helps orchestrate and coach those roles to operate in, in unison. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen very often in which everyone, and I love using this analogy back in the 80s, the football game that you sit on the table with the sheet metal and you put the players on it, you turn it on, they all vibrated around. You know, that's how a lot of teams and organizations work. They're kind of off doing their own thing because they're missing that key role. And and again, sometimes it can be a consultant. We play this for several of our clients where there's lots of other agencies involved. It can be a strong leader within the client side, but someone needs to orchestrate getting all of these teams to work together. But in short, to answer your question, no, I mean, there's, you know, if you're, if you're a contractor, your goal isn't necessarily, oh, I should become a consultant. No, not necessarily. It just depends on what you want to do, what fulfills you, what type of work you enjoy doing. It's not that one is better or, you know, they're just different roles and, and both are needed. So in that case, what does it mean to be a consultant? We've, you, we talked about, we, we kicked this off with you going through the reasons why someone would, and we jumped right into like the, the last one of the objective view, being able to provide feedback, maybe employees can't. But if we were to zoom back out again for a minute, what does it mean to be a consultant? What does it mean to be hired in that role? Um, by an organization, whether you're a one person outfit or you're part of a consulting team. So I'll use, I'll use my definition of what, um, I see a consultant is not necessarily what the broader, cause there are a lot of people that call them consultants, consultants that aren't necessarily consultants. Right. Um, yeah. so I, I will use my definition of what it means to be a consultant. Re-ask me the question. What does it mean to be a consultant? So to be a true consultant really is to be a guide. You're, and, and this is, again, a huge differentiator between what a consultant is and what a non-consultant is. A consultant is there to define the path, to define the experience, to set the waypoints, to help keep everyone together and safe. But a consultant's job isn't to also be all of the team members. That is a contractor, right? And so I I like to use mountaineering examples a lot. Uh, A consultant is the guide that's going to get you up to the top of the mountain and back. And uh, they're going to think about where do we need oxygen along the way? Where do we need to fix ropes? Where are we going to camp? Do we have the right supplies? What day do we need to leave? You know, what is our agenda? What is our, how many miles are we going to go? That's the role of a consultant. They are truly guides. Um, a, a contractor would be a member of the team that you hire for a specific need. We, you know, we're hiring Jim to haul all the food. You're, you're the contractor and your job as the contractor is to haul all the food, right? So that's really the main differentiator. So your role as a consultant should be to be guiding your clients. If you're not guiding them, In my definition, again, and this is not a broadly necessarily agreed upon definition, but in my definition, if you are not being a guide, you are not a consultant. You're you're a contractor. You're being Mm -hmm. contracted to do a job. Yeah. And and that leads me into my next question to really start refining that is, is, you know, defining a consultant, then what does it mean to run an engagement as a Mm -hmm. consultant? 
What does it mean? Like, what are some of the key things? And you, you started to mention some of them, like um, you're the one who sets the meetings. You're the one who sets the meeting agendas. You then also either set the deadlines or work with your client to set the deadlines. So we just okay. na- na- named a couple. There were a few of them right there. We named three of them. What are some others? And then let's look at, at each of those. So what are, what are some other uh, aspects of running an engagement as a consultant? And, and again, I think that's a, a good choice of words that you use running the engagement, because as a consultant, that really is your job to run the engagement. Your job isn't to do a set of tasks. Your job isn't to you know work on specific. It, your job is to define the whole engagement. So you mentioned a lot of them. But it's really thinking holistically about how we're going to get from point A to point B. And in the types of projects that most consultants work on, that is not a straightforward linear path. There are a lot of things to think about, external forces, internal forces. So as a consultant, we need to be proactive in thinking about all of those things that we need to think about. What is the cadence of communication? What teams do we need to work with? What deadlines do we need to be sensitive to in the business? So as we're setting our plan... We know that, hey, well, the development team is in a blackout for, you know, these this month or what we need to figure all of those things out. We need to figure out the logistics. We need to figure out how political pressures come into play. We need to figure out how to manage relationships. You know, as you have a team, some some team members are going to be supporters. Some are going to be detractors. Most are going to be ambivalent. We need to figure all of that stuff out so that we can put a proper plan in place, A, but B, we can properly guide along the way because it's one thing to have a plan, right? And I, I, we've used this quote before. I think it's the Mike Tyson quote. It's like something like you can have a plan, but that all changes the minute you get you know, punched in the jaw. So it's one thing to have a plan, which you absolutely have to have. It's another thing to be able to have the creativity and the expertise to deviate from that plan when you get punched in the face halfway through the project, which you are going to get punched in the face. And so a consultant will know how to deviate from that. And most importantly, will be proactive in deviating from that. And we'll then go back to the team and say, okay, we had an issue. You know, we're off course. Here's what we're going to do to correct it. Jim, here's what you need to do. John, here's what you need to do. Let's get, let's get to work. As a, as a consultant, if you're waiting for the client to come tell you what to do, if they're scheduling meetings saying, hey, Jim, I'm not really hearing from you what we need to do, so I'm going to throw a meeting on our calendar because we don't know what to do next, we've lost the plot. You know, you're not fulfilling the role of a consultant. You need to be proactively thinking ahead. What do I need to do as the leader of this project to properly communicate and inform the team what we're going to do today, tomorrow, the next day, and so on? Uh, if you don't, if you're lacking the guide, then most times those expeditions, those trips turn out less than ideal because you have everyone thinking about their specific job kind of vibrating in their little circle and no one's pulling these things together, A, and B, no one's thinking proactively what happens when we have to deviate from the plan. Yeah. Go ahead and keep talking because I am, while we're talking here, or before I forget, I am going to go get the thumbnail for this episode and I want it to be that little electric football game. <laughs> uh, it is such a cool game. It, it is. Me, I, 
I, I it was a missed opportunity for it to not be in the Seinfeld episode where Jerry drugs his girlfriend with uh, turkey so that he can play with all her like classic 80s games. Did you, did you see that episode? <laughs> no, I don't remember that. One. Oh, she has like all the classic 80s stuff like the Easy Bake Oven and the Tecmo Bowl or Coleco. I can't remember like the little football handheld football game with the uh, yeah. yeah, I think that was Tecmo. Yeah, yeah. I think the GI Joe with the with the the scuba suit. <laughs> anyway, oh, so yeah. so Jerry Jerry bought a huge box of red wine, a big turkey, and a bunch of potatoes and gravy to get her tired, so that he could play with her toys. Nice. Uh, and it's a miss that they didn't have the football game. It's such a classic. My, I, in fact, I never had the football game, but a couple of my cousins had it, and every time we went over to one of their house, I'm like, "Well, we gotta play this game. This is the coolest game ever. Mm-hmm. Coolest and most frustrating game ever." Did you find a? Did you find a? Did you find a photo? Nah, but I'm wasting time now. Okay. I wasn't able to find a good one, but I will. Um. All right. So, coming 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 back to to our topic, bringing us back, and yeah, I, I don't mean to throw anybody under the bus from from the weekend, but I guess it is that kind of guide or consultant in me that quickly realized that like, oh god, like we got to figure this out. We're mm-hmm. we're missing several components. And let's make sure, you know, things go as desired, not just kind of hoping for the best. Agreed. Sorry. Now I'm sidetracked looking at pictures for the football game. So, <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, I, I think this is a good conversation, whether you're in consulting or, or not. If you're in the business world, you're going to have some kind of intersection with people that are doing work with or for your company that are not full time employees of your company. And lots of people don't even think about the importance and, and people may be listening to this and saying, Jason, this is stupid. Like, why are we even talking about the difference between a consultant and a contractor? It's just words. No, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's specific roles. And I think because people don't think about this, these distinctions, it's a leading cause of why, why people and companies in, in, uh, in turn have such negative experiences with services because they're going into it with misset expectations and that they may be going into it thinking that they want to hire a consultant, but because they have, because they haven't thought about these differences, they go and hire a contractor. The contractor fulfills their job perfectly, but there was a misalignment of expectations because the company wanted a consultant and they're like, ah, consulting stupid. You know, services suck. We can do it better. Like, well, not necessarily. You went into the situation not understanding that there's different, um, there's different distributions in within services, and it's important. The language we use is important to communicate what we're actually looking for. So, if you're saying you want a consultant, but you don't use the right language, and you hire a contractor, everyone's going to be miserable in that situation. So, you know, it's not just words. It's it's a very important distinction, both as companies hiring outside um, expertise, outside ma- uh, bandwidth. Um, and it's an important distinction for the services side. And that I don't think most service companies, most, most agencies don't make the distinction. It's like, yeah, hey, we just want to make money, just like sign a contract with us. But I think it's important to know the role you're filling. And going back to the question you you asked, you know, is it bad to be a contract? No, it's, it's a very much needed thing. And if you're an agency that you're selling contractor services, you should know that. And you should focus your message and your market positioning to sell contractor services. If you're a consulting firm, you should know that and you should tailor your message and marketing position and the way that you execute um, 
around being consultants. But again, most don't. It's just like, oh, we're just doing work as a non-employee. And I think that that creates bad experiences and bad value for agencies and and, and for, for, for companies alike. What, for, for someone to be a successful consultant, what are some of the skills or characteristics? Or actually, let me re ask that question in a different way. What are some of the common skills and characteristics you've seen of successful consultants? Ooh, a lot. Um, but I, I think for a consultant to be successful, they absolutely have to transcend the job that they're doing. Uh, again, if, if you're doing the job, you're, you're a contractor. So if you really want to be a successful consultant, it starts with transcending the job and looking at it as, as a craft. And then more importantly, thinking about the whole experience around what you're trying to create. And what that's going to trigger is this vision. You may have had blinders on of, well, I am the best at implementing in Adobe launch, or I know the Google stack better than anyone else. Okay, well, then you're going to make a really great contractor for companies that need that specific role. But once you start to take those blinders off as a consultant, you realize there's so many more compelling interests that you need to think about. There's relationships that you have to manage. There's communication that has to happen. There's research outside of that tool set that you need to be thinking about. And that really um, is going to drive what ideally separates a great consultant from a contractor and a great consultant from an average consultant, and that is proactivity. If, if you're being proactive in driving and defining the engagement you're having with your customer, and if you're going to be proactive, that means you're going to address all of those subcomponents of, you know, what's the communication strategy going to be? Who do I need to be building relationships with? How do I need to be establishing value? All of those things are going to be part of being proactive and thinking about your job. Uh, a good consultant will be reactive. Hey, we have a problem. Okay, I'm on it. I'll jump into it. I'll, I'll create I'll create a framework to fix that problem. An outstanding consultant is going to identify that problem or better yet, going to put in plan in place so that problem doesn't occur because they proactively thought through the situation. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I love you bringing up the proactive piece. Um because in my career, that is probably like the linchpin of, of all of it. So uh, going back to some of the, the key things to running a successful engagement, the, you know, owning the meetings, owning the agenda, um, those pieces, that comes as a result of being proactive. Mm -hmm. And instead of just waiting for the client to schedule the meeting, instead of the waiting for your client to tell you what they need done, you're coming in, assessing the situation, saying, this is what you need to do. Yeah. And it's about being proactive and having the confidence to be able to do that, um, which is probably, you know, a, a, a different conversation because one, it could be at the consultant level, you know, as personally, do I have the confidence to say, no, I'm not going to that meeting or no, we're not going to do it that way. Or you really need to be thinking about it this way. You hired me as the guide. I'm going to tell you what you need to hear. That takes someone with a lot of confidence to be able to pull that off. Um, and then there's also the business aspect of it, of the agency you work for. Do you work for an agency that wants you to operate within that model, but they're not giving you 
the training and the mentoring and the help to have the confidence, to have the framework, to have the right language to use with your clients. Um, so yeah, I mean, those two things combined are critically important because we can be proactive all day long, but if we're also pushovers and we're halfway up the mountain and the client says, we're going to take this path over here and and we know it's going to lead to disaster. And we're like, okay, yeah, we kind of nod our head and go along, you know, all the proactivity gets thrown out the window at that critical moment. We need to be able to say, no, we're not taking that path because if you go down that path, you're going to get stuck. And then we're going to have to call in search and rescue to come home, save all of us. And I don't want to have to do that. Yeah. That, that's actually really fair. That, that's a good point. You, you need to couple it with the confidence to follow, yeah, to make sure what you recommend is, yeah, is the client follows through on. Yeah. Yeah. And that can be hard to do. And I, and I think that comes with one that comes with experience Two, that comes with having built up your expertise because expertise is going to give confidence and three, having the right leadership in the organization that you work with, that, you know, that you have their support and they're constantly investing in you to give you that confidence to be able to be a true guide for your, for your clients. Yeah, definitely. So believe it or not, we're actually already 40 minutes in this conversation really has, has flown by. So to, to start wrapping things up with what we've talked about today and the, the art of being a consultant, what does that all mean in through the lens of sustainable analytics? So from a sustainability standpoint, again, if you're, if, if you believe that what you're putting in place as a consultant is about the long-term health and success of your, your customers, it means having the courage to push back on a lot of decisions that companies are making. Because again, we're stuck in this loop of over-engineering, over-implementing, re- too many tags because it feels good to get stuff done. Through the lens of what does this mean from a sustainable analytics standpoint, if you're truly embracing your role as a consultant, as a guide for the companies you're working with, you need to have the courage to start to push back against something that right now has a tremendous amount of momentum, but is leading us all to a path where ultimately we're all going to crash and burn. And I don't want to be on that path for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, and, and I have nothing to add to that. Like, I, I think that, that, I mean, that, that's a very succinct way of, of putting it. I need to come up with a new, uh, I need to like a, a closing tagline. I've been, uh, I, I follow this guy on YouTube, Gotham chess. He, he's awesome. At the end of all his videos, he's, he, he says, all right, get out of here. I'm like, I want to steal his line, but he's already kind of branded it. I yeah. need to come up with my own. Like, how do we end this? Uh, yeah. See, uh, anyway, good talk. So today. yeah, very good. Get out of here. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll, we'll think of a way, but, uh, but yeah, I think, um, I think that's a good spot to, to wrap this up on. We're going to dig into a few other aspects of consulting and over the next couple of weeks. So, but this was a good intro of what it means to be a consultant and what it means to be good at the craft of being a consultant. Yeah. And, and this kind of went down a path I didn't think it was going to take, but yeah, it, was, same here. it was very good conversation. And again, this, this, this conversation is, you don't need to be a consultant for this episode to have been valuable. In fact, I think it's more valuable for businesses working with consultants and hiring consultants than it is for the consultants themselves. So hopefully people will find value out of this conversation because I think it was a good one. Yeah. 
Cool. All, All right. right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there and talk to everyone later. See you. See ya. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.